0: This is another in our pre-season pods looking at the shape we find the big six in as the Premier League looms ever closer and on today's episode we'll be heading to Manchester to understand how fans of champions Manchester City are feeling as they head into the new season armed with an ominous new number nine. So joining me on the pod to lend us his insight into City, we welcome back Dan Burke from One Football and the Blue Moon podcast. Welcome back Dan.
2: Hello Harry, thanks for having me.
0: Good to speak to you again. Um, I think yeah, people who who tuned into our sort of previous chats last season around around City ahead of both of the games um, will know that you know it it wasn't too much of a tribal tribal affair tribal discussion between us. We were, I think I think neither of us were were sure at certain points of what shape both teams were in, and then obviously by the end of the season, you yeah, know, you come to look at both the teams and go, oh, oh right, yeah, comfortably better than everybody else in the league, um, and. Obviously, setting ridiculous standards in the run-in in order to make it as as tough and as tight a contest as um, I think we've seen, you know, for for many seasons, and we've come to expect between City and Liverpool now. So, before we get into some of the activity that's gone on this summer, and you know, sort of what sort of shape you think you think City are in coming into the new season. Um, I want to sort of take our minds back, and apologies, I know all Liverpool fans listening to this, yes, yes, you know, <laughs> we did narrowly really miss out on the Premier League, but I want, but I want to take you down to um, last season, and, and just the finish to last season, so obviously, um, you know, just putting it all into context, there was that um, pretty dramatic sort of semi-final uh, defeat in the Champions League to Real Madrid and sort of Real Madrid f- continually finding new ways to be the zombies of, of of football and just refusing to be defeated. And then somehow, I, I still don't even know how that, that that final went down, to be honest. Um, and then, um, uh, yeah, um, sort of semifinal, semi-final of the FA Cup, so sort of lost out to, um, to 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 Liverpool. But then, of course, the all important, holding on to first place in the Premier League, won nine out of your last 12 in the league. And of course, that comeback against Villa... Um, when it did look at one stage that it was gone three goals in five minutes, uh, to beat Villa and seal that, uh, that Premier League title. Um, I, I just taking all of that into account. I mean, what did you make, um, of the end of, uh, the end of last season or, 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 the, or the finish to it? And, uh, yeah, sort of what
2: shape city were in. Yeah, it, it was pretty stressful. I mean, I, I remember I spoke to you just before we, we played Liverpool in April. And yeah. uh, that game, obviously, uh, that finished 2-2. And I came out of the, the stadium that day thinking it was a decent result for City. You know, we'd maintained top spot. We'd we'd kept Liverpool. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think you were still a point behind us at that point. So we, we were still in control of our own destiny. But exactly. there, was a, there was a sense that we'd, we we sort of had maybe had the chance in that game to kind of finish you off a little bit. And we didn't. And even Pep Guardiola said a, a really interesting thing afterwards That he said we left Liverpool alive, and it felt like that. It felt like Liverpool were always in the background, waiting to pounce on any mistakes that we might have had. And Liverpool kept winning, pretty much, you know, as you know, every game except for the the Tottenham game, wasn't it, where you dropped points, and that was the one that um, Mm -hmm. ultimately enabled us to to just get over the line at the end of the season. And you know, I think City did really well to get over the line at the end of the season. I think they were playing under a lot of pressure, and and you know, with with the Real Madrid. Game and, and the heartbreak associated with that thrown in there as well to, to kind of recover really quick from that and go in and win the title was was something that we we were really delighted about and um, it it was a, it was a really great season for city it wasn't a perfect season but it was a really great one and one that we'll look back on with with great fondness you know even more so I think than the one the season before when we we won the title during the pandemic that was a bit of a strange season where we mm-hmm. we didn't sort of hit hit the heights throughout that we did uh, you know we weren't we weren't at the same level that year as we were last season. So I think it was, it was a really good season to go to over the line in, in the fashion that we did at the, in the final day of the season. I mean, I, uh, I I saw someone on Twitter like a few weeks afterwards saying like, oh, it was always inevitable that City were going to win the league this year. Even when they were 2-0 down to Aston Villa, I was like, I was in the stadium on the final day of the season and I did not feel like it was inevitable <laughs> that we were going to come back from 2-0. You know, I felt like the the world was, was crumbling around us at that point and, you know, Coutinho scoring to make it 2-0. I'm thinking, oh God, it had to be like this, didn't it? So the way they came back was was oh, thrilling and and wonderful day for us and day that we'll never forget and you know we're almost up there with the the most famous one of those the, the Sergio Aguero QPR game for us. That's gonna say um, yeah. yeah. So it it was great to finish the season as champions again. Um, we would have liked to have won the Champions League, but you know we're not we're not quite there yet for, for some reason for reasons which are, are puzzling to everybody I think and. Uh, who knows? Maybe the season coming will be the one where we finally get over the line there. But yeah, we we we're going into the new season feeling optimistic as champions, and uh, I'm looking forward to to what's to come. Yeah, it was an interesting one. I mean, just on the on the Villa game itself. I mean,
0: I mean, I always uh, I was I was always reluctant to to give my hope to. Uh, to a side or, or, or put my faith in a side which has Tyrone Mings in defence. I still, I still just don't think <laughs> that's like. I mean, I, I'm, I'm 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 watching every every week to see whether or not he's going to be eventually be replaced. Um, I, I I just don't get it. Um, not that he was solely responsible or anything, but um, yeah, when, you, when when Villa went two 0 up, I did. I was like, come on, just batten down the hatches. But um, I, I I think for me, it just really emphasised again just. My God, what an influential player uh, and huge figure uh, Gundawan has been uh, for for City in those real clutch moments. Um, and interesting to hear what you said there around the the pressure that you felt was was on City in you know, those sort, sort of final games of the season. Because it was an interesting one from the Liverpool perspective because so much was being made of this, you know, this uh, potential quadruple from from everybody outside of the Liverpool bubble. I think in, inside the bubble. I think we were always a little bit pessimistic about the, or sort of realistic about the fact that it was going to be very, very difficult. And there's reasons why teams don't win quadruples because uh, it ends up being such a strain on, on a squad. But um, yeah, I think I think for the end of the the end of the season, from a Liverpool perspective, it was just, okay, how do we, (laughs) how do we. Uh, get into all these finals and actually sort of give the best account of ourselves Um, we could but I think you could even see towards the end of the season we sort of ran out of steam a little bit in terms of some of our our biggest players being just running to the ground a little bit because of their international um, contributions and things like that so it was it was a weird one because you know sort of being in all those finals uh, or being in all those sort of um, uh, crucial moments but then of course, maybe not you know, not winning the last two big ones, which was of like the Premier League and Champions League, um, left a slight, slightly bitter taste in the mouth, of course. But I'm um, interested by what you're saying around the, the, the pressure on City because I, I, I did get the impression that, because um, obviously Liverpool were chasing for so long, um, that uh, the City were all, always in sort of a level of control. And actually, it was interesting what you mentioned around that game. Um, at, at the Etihad because I, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I thought watching that first half, I, I was delighted uh, to see us get in uh, with the score the way in which it was because I thought that um, uh really battered us in that first half, stretched us all around and could easily have, um, I think, to, yeah, to, to put Guardiola's words into it, like, you know, not left us alive after that first half and then, of, of course, mm. the way in which it started, we were able to sort of drag our way back into it a little bit. But um yeah, interesting what you you say about that, that sort of the pressure that was on City in those final those final months. Um, we'll, we'll touch on the Champions League in a second, but in terms of the Premier League and players, you thought really stood up in those moments to help help City get across the line. we thought mention Gundogan there, and obviously I thought uh Kevin De Bruyne as he got up to full fitness really shone in those final few months as did sort of Gabriel Jesus who's 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 departed and and we'll speak about him as well but yeah who were the who were the sort of the, the members of the team that you thought really stood up
2: yeah de bruyne was the main one i think he was he was the real driving force you know as, as the games were coming towards the end of the season, and and we're sort of playing every three days, and it's getting difficult, and you're looking at every game. You know, I remember like Wolves away, thinking, "Oh God, this could be a really tough game. This it's a a Wednesday night game, and I thought this could be the one where the season really unravels. We drop some points away at Wolves, and and it's it's game over. Liverpool will will smell blood and, and going for the kill, and then we, we've got no chance then. And De Bruyne goes and scores four goals at Molyneux and just has an absolutely, you know, outrageous performance. And and that, those are the kind of games that you get from him regularly. And uh, and I think Rodri, you know, I think I mentioned him when we spoke last time. Actually, like he was arguably our Player of the Year last season. You know, he was the guy who was played every every game. Essentially, was awesome. Pretty much ninety nine percent of the time that he played, uh, really held things together in midfield. Really, he came on leaps and bounds as a player over the last season. You know, when he when he first came, he was he was a little bit slow. He took a little bit of time to adapt to to the Premier League and to to Guardiola's football, I think. But you look at him now, and I don't think there's you know too many better, if any better, defensive midfielders in the world than him. Really, you know, maybe Fabinho is is the only one who re- can really hold a candle to him. So he he was a, a fantastic player. Cancelo was another one who was consistent throughout. You know, we were. We were having players getting injured towards the end of the season. Kyle Walker was out, you know, centre backs were out. We were playing Fernandinho at centre back at times, and that was uh, a bit of a recipe for disaster with his, uh, his sort of slow turn of pace as, uh, in, in the twilight of his career. But Cancelo was someone you could always, you could always rely on. Um, yeah, and and Gundogan, like you mentioned, he, for him to come off the bench and, and do what he did in that final game of the season was was incredible, really, and um, it was funny because a couple a couple of days before the, at the end of the season, there was a rumor going around that he had been seen boarding a jet to Madrid and was maybe off in the summer, and <laughs> he's got just one year left on his contract at the moment. And then I remember sort of talking to friends about it, saying like, I really like Gundogan; he's been a fantastic player for us, but it's one of those where if it feels like the time is right for him to go, I'm not going to shed like too many tears over it. He'll, you know. Maybe it's maybe it's time maybe the relationship has run its course with him a little bit and then for him to to come on and do that on the final day of the season it's kinda of like just give him a contract for life now. Like we don't want him to leave now. So um yeah, there there was players all over the pitch really that, that stood up for City last season. But um yeah, I would say De Bruyne, uh, Rodri and and Cancelo were the were the three the three main ones that really really got us over the line. And Gabriel Jesus as well, to be fair. Mm. You know, he was uh, he played against Liverpool. I remember the team team sheet came out for the Liverpool uh, game in the league at, at the Etihad and he was starting it was the first time he'd started for probably a couple of months in the Premier League and I remember looking at my friends and saying like what, what's he playing Jesus for what's this about and he was he was really good that day obviously scored the goal he was, and yeah. I think you I think he was in the team pretty much every game after that until the end of the season and, and played his role played his part in the um in the final final day as well and then you know honorable mention as well for Raheem Sterling who's also also left us this summer. He he put the cross in for the first goal, you know, without that cross, then we don't score that goal and maybe we don't we don't come back into it against Villa. And Zinchenko as well was another one who came off the bench at half time. He's uh, I don't think he's quite uh, left at the time of recording, but he's he's very nearly, Same left. Today, yeah. Um yeah, very sad to see him go as well 'cause he's been a he's been a really good player for us. a mm. Really good kind of utility player. Um who perhaps hasn't played as much as he should have done due to the form of Cancelo really. But um, yeah, we're sad to see him go because he, he had a huge influence on that, that last game of the season against Villa as well.
0: Yeah. I think there's, there's, there's definitely a few players there that you mentioned that we'll, 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 touch upon in terms of sort of their, their time at City having ended and sort of what you, what you made of their time at City. Cause there's, there's some, there's some big figures there, some who perhaps have, have, have left more of an imprint than others, but still be interested to get your perspective on it. And, yeah, just before we do move on from last season, I think one thing I wanted to um, go back to was that Champions League semi-final. Because of course, it's, it's this, it's this, uh, this narrative that gets rolled out every single season. Is I think it's it's it's, it's, it's been with Guardia, Guardia since he joined the club that he was, you know, he was he was hired uh, you know, to win the Champions League, for example. Uh, how, however accurate that may be, but obviously, sort of you, people understand the reputational um, uh, sort of. Um, prizes that come with winning that Champions mm-hmm. League um, uh, trophy, winning that competition, and it, it is becoming a bit of a theme now, isn't it? That, that yeah, that in at the, this this certain stage in the competition, um, for numerous teams, also sorry, numerous the the teams that Guardiola has managed, um, there seem to be sort of different ways in which they're construed to um, ultimately lose these games, and some of them are so like bizarre. Of course, <laughs> I, think, I think the Real Madrid. Come back, and uh, the way in which they did it, and the way in which Benzema sort of um, carried them through—very strange to see, and almost—I I thought City had played more or less the perfect, the perfect game, um, and, and actually showed a lot of composure. Uh, In comparison to previous years, scored that goal. You know, when you thought, okay, that's it, that's killed it there. Mm. Um, And of course, Grealish came on, had a real big impact, and and came very close to scoring on a couple of occasions. Ultimately, didn't. I mean, what was your what was your view on that exit? Because obviously, you mentioned it was a it was important that City responded from that in the way in which they did but it must have felt like, a, like another case of deja vu in that like, some, <laughs> somehow construed to lose this game and seemingly we did everything right
2: yeah it it was really gutting um it, it sort of felt like having having your pocket picked or something like that it was like yeah, a, a, yeah. It was like a sort of violating experience, really. It was, it was really strange. I mean, the the first leg, you know, to begin with was was one where we we won four three. We should have won about eight three, I think. You know, the chances we created, we we really should have put Definitely. Real Madrid to bed in in that uh, that first half. And and between the two legs, the talk was all, oh, you know, City have left the door ajar for Real Madrid here. This is going to be a problem. Um, you know, you can't do this to Real Madrid. They're like the the uh, <clears throat> the, the movie villain who you have to you have to kill and bury hundred feet underground, or they're going to come back and you know rise. From the rise from the dead and come back and and, and kill you off and uh, lo and behold that was what happened but I I kind of thought in the in the build up to the second leg that now nah, we we're, we're an experienced team you know we've got some good players we'll get through this you know Guardiola knows what he's doing he'll have a plan for it and for. Like you say, 88, 89 minutes of the second leg, the plan was was working perfectly, and everything was everything was going really well. And I was almost sort of like chuckling to myself watching the game, thinking, all that talk about the magic of the Burner and the build up to this game was all for nothing, really. It's all been been proved like demonstrably false." And City have just come and won one nil, you know, almost a perfect score line given that the, the the nature of the first leg um, to come and just sort of kill kill the tie off like that was was uh, was ideal scenario for us, really. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, I don't really know. Still to this day, what happened? I've you know watched the highlights back a couple of times. I've I've sort of thought about it an awful lot, and I still don't really know whether City could have done an awful lot to stop what happened. I think it was just a case of the momentum got away from them. And you saw that with Real Madrid earlier in the tournament as well. You saw that against uh, against PSG, against Chelsea, they did very similar things. And even you know in, in the final against Liverpool. Mm. The goal, the goal lived a charmed life that night, as I'm sure you know. You know, Liverpool were good for at least one goal that game. Somehow, couldn't get the ball over the line. Real Madrid get the one goal and, and go in and win the game. And it's just like, how how on earth have they done this?
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, you know, they're a good they're a good team. They've got they've got a good manager and, and and some quality players and the champions of Spain. You know, but I think City and Liverpool are both be- were both better than them last season. And, and, and somehow they, they managed to get to get past both of us. I don't know how they do it. I don't know if it's a case of uh, experience or. Or, or maybe there is a little bit of magic in the air. I don't, I don't really know. Um, it, it's it's really strange. I, I still don't really understand what happened to City. But as as devastating as it was to, to lose the game in that fashion, hmm. it's not kind of like I, I don't feel like oh my god that was our one chance to win the Champions League and it's gone forever. Sure, I feel yeah. like we're kind of we're kind of getting closer in a weird kind of way. Like we lost the final against Chelsea the year before. Um, we probably should have been in the final this year, but. For reasons which no one could really understand, we're not. We weren't. Um, maybe, maybe next year will be the one where we finally get it done. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be the year after. It's not something that really keeps me awake at night, thinking, "When are we going to win the Champions League? We've got to win the Champions League." You know, hmm. we're, we're, we've won four of the last five Premier League titles. I'm very, very happy with that. And yeah. I always think that you know, if, you, if you've won the Premier League, you've had an, an outstanding, incredible season. Um, there's no two ways about it. Um, and if you win the Champions League, you've also had an outstanding, incredible season. But I still think the way that the, the way that I would prefer to judge where City are at as a team is their performance in the domestic league, especially when we're up against a team uh, like Liverpool who are running us so close and, and challenging us so much. And, you know, maybe this coming season we'll have even more challenges coming from, from other areas as well. It's going to be really hard to win, win the league next season as well, I think. So, you know, if we only win the Premier League this year, only in inverted commas, then it's never going to be a, a bad thing for me. I would like to win the Champions League and I, I do think I don't I don't mean this in an arrogant way. I hope it doesn't come across that way, but I do think it's a case of when City win the Champions League I think it's going to happen someday with the the resources we've got with the talent at our disposal it's it's almost inevitable Mm -hmm. I don't really know why it's not happened just yet but I think it's going to happen soon enough maybe it's become a bit of an albatross around Guardiola's neck in terms of the way that he's perceived the way his time in England is perceived it's a lot of people sort of think oh he's won the loads of Premier Leagues but he's not won the one that matters and it's like well that's not the way we see it really and I can understand why people have that point of view that's that's fine people are entitled to that opinion but City fans don't see it that way, really. We just kind of see that we're, we're doing very well, and we've just this, this this one particular trophy has eluded us so far. But I think it's going to happen one day. I just don't know when.
0: Yeah, no, and I'm I'm happy to admit. So I'll put my cards on the table uh, before it came to the end of the last season, and, and we were still in uh, with the chance of winning three three trophies after the um, after the Carabao Cup win. Um, mm. I, I was, yeah, I think people were asking me, oh, know, yeah, what would you? What would you go for? You know, if you could, if you could choose, and I was like, oh, Premier League, like just 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 yeah. hands down. I was like, like if, if I could choose one, we lose all the other ones. I, I don't care how agonising the losses are, just as long as you manage to get the, the the league. And I think you're right when there is when there is that level of competition um, between the two sides, as there is. I think you're right that it is you know it's it, it's a sign that the team that. Uh, does win it has has earned it in the end in terms of just being able to find a way doesn't matter how glamorous it is doesn't matter if it's a you know the most mm. vintage form of the side because I, I think we both discussed sort of last season sort of a weird one in that so we felt as though you know, it, it, it was it wasn't necessarily a vintage city side um, mm. last season but they still managed to find a way uh, to to rack up that points total which is obviously astonishing as well and that can that level of consistency and also, I think there's a, there's a shared sense of uh, a trauma that Liverpool fans have, I think, around Real Madrid in general as well. Mm. The same as you in that, uh, yeah, perhaps didn't create as many chances as I think you did at the Bernabeu, certainly. But I thought um, pretty much dominated large swaths of that game. And then, yeah, there's that there's that deflected cross shot, also cross slash shot that comes in and Vinicius does mm-hmm. his business. And I remember there being, I, think I watched it in this packed uh, packed bars always all liverpool fans there was one uh real madrid fan at the bar he was just stood there quite stoic the whole evening i remember just going up to him. It, it, it took a lot uh, uh took a lot from me especially after um, a few drinks had been consumed <laughs> to go over <laughs> to go over to him and to congratulate him but i did at the end but i, but I as well as congratulate him i did say i have to I have to ask you how? <laughs> I've, really done that. Because I, I, I've watched that game. and I just, I just don't understand how. Um, yeah, it's, it's remarkable what, what they were able to do, and uh, I can't wait till some of those guys leave. To be honest, because <laughs> <So laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's almost tied to them this uh, this weird magic. But moving on from from last season, then and I suppose like when you got to the end of it for you, what was the sort of the obvious work that was there to be done? You know, so what, where were the the areas that needed strengthening? Um, and actually, just before, just before we get onto that as well, um, we, we spoke a little bit briefly around Grealish, and I think it's, you know, I don't want to target him too much here, but I, th- I think w- when you spend that much money on a player, I think it's it's, it's worth getting your thoughts on what you, you made of his first season at the club. So yeah, um, thoughts on Grealish, but then obvious, um, uh, where were the obvious areas where you thought, okay, we need to put in some work here, we need, to, we need some new faces through the door?
2: Yeah, w- with Grealish, um, it was a little bit of a strange one because there was a bit of pessimist, pessimism among the fan base going into last season because we we knew that we needed a, a, a striker. You know, we, we, when obviously Aguero had, had retired at the end of the previous season and even the year before that, we probably could have done with done with having someone to kind of make that transition a little bit easier. Um, and we, we went all out for Harry Kane last summer, didn't get him and were left sort of... Without, we, we knew that we were going into the season without a striker, and there was a bit of sort of trepidation about. Well, are we going to be able to win the league without a number nine striker? We did it the year before, but it's a bit different. You know, it's going to be harder this year. Are we going to be able to do it? And we brought Greenish in. A lot of people said, "Yeah, I'm really happy with that signing," but I don't really think we needed him necessarily. And to spend 100 million pounds on a player that you don't need, uh, people might might see that as being pretty gauche behaviour from City. Really, um, I think it was. Uh, it was a case of them identifying a player that they thought would bring uh, something uh, to the team and you know, perhaps a bit of something commercially off the field as well. Perhaps that was a, a reason they brought him in as a bit of a star boy kind of player. And I think his first season at the club w- was was good. At times, he, he looked pretty average. Uh, at times, he looked really good. Uh, he never really sort of found <clears throat> a really consistent level throughout. Uh, towards the end of the season, he seems to be feeling his way into his role a more, the, the the Real Madrid uh, game that you mentioned before, when he ke- he came on and and had a bit of an impact and nearly scored. Uh, the game against West Ham uh, towards the end of the season, where we were two 0 down at half time, we we ended up drawing two two. He was probably our best player that game. He was really influential. He really looked like he he was getting the ball and wanted to take players on. You know the kind of girlish that we'd we'd sort of seen at Aston Villa. We didn't see an awful lot of, of that at City. It took him a while to kind of come out of his shell. I think it was a case of him having to having to learn how to play for City. Uh, you know a different role, uh, having to um be a little bit less uh, kind of um, instinctive with his play and a little bit more thoughtful with what he was doing with the ball. It took him a little bit of time to get his head around that. And the signs towards the end of the season were good. You know, he didn't play in the last game of the season. He he, was, he stayed on the bench for the whole game, um, which was um, a little bit unexpected, really. I kind of thought he might start that game, uh, being against his old club and all that kind of thing. It kind of had a, a bit of a a, a Grealish scores the title winning goal subplot to it that I, that I kind of thought might materialise, but didn't. Um, so... I think yeah, he started the season in the. the, He ended the season in the ascendancy, and you would like to think that he will. uh, He will sort of pick up where he left off at the start of the season and and really kick on. And we've seen with lots of players in the past that it usually takes him about a year to settle under Guardiola. It happened with Maraz, and the following season, his first season, he wasn't that great. The following season, he was really good. Um, So we're kind of hoping that the the same thing will happen with uh, with Grealish uh, going into the new season. But you know. even the most pessimistic fans amongst us are going into the new season feeling really optimistic because the one player that we we were crying out for that we've been crying out for a couple of year for a couple of years is that number 9 striker and we've signed, you know, one of the best in the world, you know, certainly one of the most promising in the world in, in Erling Haaland for hmm. a, a a relatively low fee if you uh, if you discount all the uh, you know millions in agents fees that we've paid uh <laughs> under the table. But like, you know, the, the fee that we've actually paid for him that, that will go that will go up down in the books isn't isn't too bad at all. Hmm. And uh he you know, he could potentially be an awesome signing for us, uh, whether it be for Six or seven years he plays for us, or maybe just three or four. Maybe he will fancy a move to Real Madrid. I'm not really, I'm not really considering myself too much about that at the moment. I'm just, just sort of focusing on the here and now. And yeah, really looking forward to seeing him play. If, you, if you could have identified one player in the world that I've wanted, I would have wanted us to sign this summer. It's him, and we've got him. And sure. I think what he's gonna. I mean, we, we were. The past couple of years, we've been the top scorers in the Premier League. We've got 99 Premier League goals next season. I think Haaland coming in doesn't mean that we're going to score 120 Premier League goals or 130 Premier League goals. We'll probably score about the same amount of goals that we're scoring now. Um, and that's, you know, even if he if he stays fit, you know, his injury record is, is a little bit of a concern maybe. Um, but I think what he might bring or what we're hoping that he will bring is a player who will score the goals, who will kind of get us over the line in those tight games, you know, the Real Madrid game, if he's on the pitch, maybe we we win that game, maybe we score the goals that we need there and we're going to win that. Mm. The, the games against Liverpool, home and away, where we, we have periods on top and couldn't really make it count, couldn't really kill Liverpool off, maybe he's, he's the sort of player who can score a goal in those moments and become a real kind of clutch player for us in those moments and a player that everyone really fears and I think it's going to be. It's going to take a bit of an adaptation period with him as well, and it's it's going to take a bit of time for City to adapt again to having a central striker as a as a reference point. You know, we've not had that for the past two years, and it, and it worked, you know, really well. To be fair, we we didn't really miss that number nine striker so much. You know, we we learnt. How to play with that false nine formation and, and really made made it count and, and obviously won, won two league titles playing like that. So it's not it's not all been bad news at all. But yeah, he's the one that you, you're really looking at and thinking, wow, that's the one that could could take us next level and maybe get us over the line in the Champions League. Um, we'd certainly like to think so anyway. And then the the other signings that they've made, uh, you know, I think Calvin Phillips is a really sensible signing. Um, he's uh, we needed a replacement for Fernandinho. Um, we've needed one for a little while, really. Fernandinho was a fantastic player for us, one of the best holding midfielders the Premier League's ever seen and, and one of our best best ever players, really. But the last couple of years, he's, he's understandably been slowing down quite a lot and uh, it was time time for him to, to say goodbye and, and to bring Phillips in, yeah. um, who I, th- I think is a really good player who... Will will play second fiddle to Rodri for the most part, I think, which is something that I'm pretty sure he he understands uh, that that's going to be his role for the, for the time being. That he will be he'll be kind of Rodri's understudy because Rodri is the main man there who will who will play most of the games, but. It will, it will allow Rodri to have a little bit of a rest. That was a problem that we, we had last season, really, that, that it kind of felt like that the whole season hung by a thread, that if Rodri got injured, everything was going to fall apart. You know, he was the, the card that you pull out and the, the whole house of cards comes, comes tumbling down. Cause I don't think Fernandinho could have, could have done his role on the regular if he'd, if he'd been asked to last season. So the fact that Rodri stayed fit for almost the entire season was, was, probably the main reason City won the league last year, I think. So to have a bit of a safety net of a player who can come in and, and give, give him some time on the bench or if he does get injured. And also the option of maybe playing with two holding midfielders is what Calvin Phillips will bring to the table, which is something that we might, we might do. I think he's, uh, he's a player who likes to get forward a little bit more than Rodri. So uh, that could be an interesting dynamic that we we could use in certain games. Yeah. And yeah, um, I can't, then, can't remember who else. we've Julian Alvarez is we're the we're one. Oh yeah, of I course. thought yeah, yeah. interesting so. as well because I remember
0: speaking to somebody about him. Um, it was it was yeah it was, it was around the Nunes signing and, I, and, and I, I I suppose that's going to be interesting as well, right? Yeah, these these two teams that achieved such like crazy high levels last season, both opting to go for centre forwards um, and, and and sort of the the adaptation period that's going to be there for Darwin Nunes and also for for um Erling Haaland as well to sort of adapt to those teams and sort of yeah, how that changes the dynamic of those teams is going to be interesting but i remember when speaking to somebody about nunez somebody was um comparing him to uh um, oh i think i think i think someone was was comparing him and someone was comparing uh, um, haaland to cavani of old and things like that and uh um, they actually said that no, they actually think that Alvarez is the, is 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 the one who's getting most of those comparisons. Actually, despite him not being as as tall as Cavani, um, yeah. but sort of a, a similar sort of styles at times to the to each other. Um, and yeah, he, he's someone who's because um, Harlan's not not yet played as the preseason tour has just started for City. Um he's, he's obviously he's got a slight niggle on he's out at the moment. But um, I've heard Alvarez has been impressive
2: yeah i mean we've only played one game and I think hmm. it was it was at, uh two o'clock in the morning so i didn't stay up to watch it to be honest i've oh, just seen the, the highlights <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah um but uh yeah that's that's my lack of commitment for you nice But time. uh yeah he, he, from from what i've seen he he looked um he looked pretty sharp and I, I didn't see an awful lot of him at river plate if i'm being perfectly honest either but um i've seen a few sort of youtube compilations uh it looks good and excellent you know, he's, was uh was, was interesting a lot of teams uh, around the time that we signed him last January. We got the deal done for him and again it was a, a relatively low fee, about twenty million pounds, which is which is a which is nothing in this day and age if he goes on to be a good player. And he's he's twenty two, so he's not too young. I think he's at that, that sort of right point in his career where he's ready to really kick on and mm. and take on a new challenge. And um older than Haaland, yeah. though yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah crazy, you know and 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 I don't think it's easy to play for river plate you know I think you know at all, no. that's a, a massive club you know and and there's a lot of pressure associated with playing for them so I don't think he's going to be overawed. and and the talk was that we were going to get him in for pre-season this year have a look at him and then decide what we want to do with him whether we want to send him out alone or keep him around I think they'll almost certainly keep him around now especially given that, that Sterling and Jesus have left because he he can be useful in in sort of every position I was going him. to say that's yeah three, really and he there was a, a clip during the rounds of him in the, the pre-season friendly the other night of him playing like a beautiful cross field pass around the back of the defence to, to Jack Grealish, <laughs> um, which is something we might might get used to. You know, I think he's got a real life, a goal, but I think he's a, a very good player as well with with great vision, great passing ability and, and really quick. And um, yeah, he, he could be really, really good for us uh, if he adapts quickly. I mean, I don't think he speaks English yet, which is... Um, Maybe a bit of a problem, but as you saw with Luis Diaz last last season, like sometimes players don't really it doesn't really matter to them. They're not kind of uh, overawed by that. Either they just, they just get stuck in and and get involved and and learn as they go along. So I'm not expecting him to be uh, you know a amazing player for us straight away, who, who's scoring 20 30 goals a season. But I think uh, in time he could be one that we we look back and think, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that was a. A really really good signing, and and the the other one that we brought in so far is um is, is Stefan Ortega Moreno, a goalkeeper. We sent Zach Stefan out on loan to Middlesbrough and brought this guy in. He was uh one of the I think he was one of the best goalkeepers in the Bundesliga last season, despite the fact his team got relegated. He made a high high proportion of saves, and um crucially, he's really good with the ball at his feet. I was going to um, say, do you
0: think Zach Stefan's paying for that that error in the
2: yeah in the final? I feel sorry for Zach Stefan because I don't think he put too many feet wrong for us. That's not a thing people say, is it? But I don't I don't think he did an awful lot wrong for City um really, apart from that moment. And that kind yeah. of was the it, it was like an instant sort of <laughs> career, City career's over as soon as you've done that, really. It kind of felt like I think the fans lost an awful lot of lot of faith and confidence in him then and I think with the World Cup coming up as well, he's gone to Middlesbrough so that he can play a bit more next season and sure. and kind of force his way into the reckoning for the, the USA number one jersey. And I think City have sort of said, yeah, go on, you you go off on loan then and we'll uh, we'll bring this guy in. And hopefully he's someone who can, who can keep Edison on his toes a little bit because Edison, I think, has maybe become a little bit complacent uh, in, in recent times. You know, he's he's still probably the best goalkeeper in the world with the ball at his feet. You know, probably one of the best passes of the ball in the Premier League, despite the fact he's a goalkeeper. But in terms of like the saves that he makes it's quite rare that you'll go oh what an amazing save that was from Edison he really mm-hmm. he really he really pulled us out of the shit today he really you know came to the came to our rescue today it's it's kind of not very often that you get that with Edison and it's become a little bit of frustration so um yeah we would like to think that maybe this guy coming in might uh, might keep Edison on his toes a little bit and, and sharpen his mind. Um, and I think really, like with, with Zinchenko leaving, and the, the talk is that they're, they're going to try and sign Mark Kukurea from Brighton, but the yeah, negotiations seem a bit difficult. Yeah, I mean that that was one where the rumor first surfaced a few weeks ago. That I uh, I saw that and thought, yeah, that's a signing that I really like the idea of. I think he will be he would be really a really interesting player for who, who would add an extra dimension. We don't have a. Uh, we've not had a, a sort of left back who can who can go around the outside and whip crosses him for a long time. And um, we've had Cancelo playing as that like kind of inverted fullback, so that would add an extra option for us. And yeah, I think he's a very talented player. And you know, I think City are, are willing to pay about thirty million for him, and Brighton want about fifty million. So maybe they'll kind of meet in the middle of it eventually. Or maybe we we won't end up signing him. But I think he's the one who, if we, if we get him, he would he would complete a really, really, uh, a really good summer for us. Mm-hmm. No, I think uh, I think he's an excellent. Uh... He's
0: an excellent fullback and and then that brings us on to departures I think that we've we've, we've touched upon it already sort of throughout the the things we've we've been discussing but some big departures I mean that's sort of Raheem Sterling uh, who felt like a pretty significant signing when he moved to City um, Mm -hmm. given his age and sort of given his profile and the way in which he's developed and um, so sort of gone in phases, I'd say, of, sort of being hugely influential, and then maybe slightly less in favour at times. But his um, record speaks for himself, to be to be honest. And there's Gabriel Jesus, who's obviously gone to Arsenal. Starting to go to Chelsea. Fernandinho as you mentioned um back to Brazil um and I I hope to catch some highlights of him being equally cynical uh, in Brazil <laughs> now that his pace has gone uh and uh, Zinchenko as you mentioned who's sort of not not gone through just yet but it looks like he's all all but heading to to Arsenal as well to sort of join uh, Gabriel Jesus as well so i mean going through those players uh it feels like Sterling perhaps has had the the biggest impact given, uh, during his time at City um, and then Hayes was probably uh, following on from that. I mean, Fernandinho as well, but sort of, I, I think the, the nature of his departure, we would have to talk about it as much, but um, those players who've left, I mean, I'm just, I'm just fascinated by your your thoughts on sort of their, their time at the club, because Sterling's often been sort of this weirdly divisive figure, I think, at times, mm-hmm. but um, I've always thought he's a really, really intelligent footballer. I think Chelsea have got a really good deal there, and um yeah, what did you make of his his time at City? I mean, do you, do you think he's leaving uh, sort of held in
2: high esteem by the fans? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he came obviously from Liverpool, and there was a, there was a, a lot of kind of furore around his his transfer. You know, a lot of a lot of sort of nasty things said about him in the press by ex Liverpool players and that kind of thing. And he was getting booed at every ground in the country at one point as well for the fact that he was yeah. playing poorly for England so he, like you said he was always a bit of a divisive figure and and I think it took him a little while to settle you know his first year under under Manuel Pellegrini was okay but not not great really and then once Guadiola you know, got to work with him he, he really brought him on leaps and bounds he really added some 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 good things to his game and it, his movement really improved but like you say, I think he's he's a very uh, naturally gifted, intelligent player, Sterling. Who, you know, a lot of people call him a tapping merchant, and it's like players don't just end up in the six-yard box completely unmarked by accident. You know, like there is a science to that, and, and Sterling was was a great player for kind of ghosting into those positions and scoring those goals. I think his finishing left a lot to be desired at times. You know, some. His numbers were, were really really good you know he, he scored scored a lot of goals for us and scored some really good goals as well um, but he also missed an awful lot of open nets which was very frustrating and um, that's I've been saying to people like I will miss Sterling until the moment he misses his first open net for Chelsea and I'll go ah yeah that's why we sold him yeah but it's not really like that it's kind of it's just I think like I kind of alluded to with Gun- Gundogan earlier I think th- there comes a time with certain players where you feel like the relationship has, has run its course a little bit maybe a a little bit similar to Sadio Mane leaving Liverpool. I think he sort of like did exactly what he came to Liverpool to do. And now he's left and gone gone seeking a new challenge elsewhere. And it's kind of the same with Sterling. You know, he's, he's won everything with us except the Champions League. He goes away to, to Chelsea now where... He wants, uh, he wants a bit of a change of scenery. He wants to move back to London, be closer to his family, um, play for a new team, um, have a new challenge and and good luck to him, like genuinely wishing him, wish him the best of luck and have no bad feelings towards him whatsoever. I think kind of the issue with him was that around the sort of mid to end of the of the 2021 season, he... Had a bit of a falling out with Guardiola by all accounts, and I don't know if their relationship ever truly was repaired. And uh, he wasn't playing an awful lot. Um, you know, he wasn't starting a lot of big games anymore, and he kind of fell down the pecking order a little bit. And I think for both parties, it was time to say like, we had a good run. We, you know, it, it's been it's been great, but let's let's say goodbye now. And he, with one year to go in his contract, and Chelsea offering. Uh, the money that they offered for him, it was it was a bit of a no-brainer to him in the end, really. And it, it's kind of the same situation with, with Jesus. You know, he came in midway through through Guardiola's uh, first season, kind of a similar signing to, to Alvarez in that we we plucked him out of, uh, out of out of South America, and he was he he came with a lot of promise. And I don't think he ever truly fulfilled the potential that he that he came with. But I think there was a lot of talk about him being the next Ronaldo, as in the Brazilian Ronaldo. Like, and I, I don't think he was ever going to be that good. I think that was a uh, a little bit too much um, pressure perhaps put on his, his shoulders too soon. And he came and was the understudy to, to Sergio Aguero and, and kind of always knew his role in, in that that ecosystem that he was unlikely to ever usurp Sergio Aguero from the team on a permanent basis while he while he was there. And I think a lot of people were like, okay, that's fine. He'll, he'll bide his time. He'll learn the ropes. And, and when Aguero leaves us, then he'll step into that role and be really good. And then when Aguero left... Jesus just wasn't really in that position to be able to step into that role. He wasn't that player, that calibre of player. He wasn't that consistent in front of goal. He he would miss chances. He would, uh, I think he's, he said something once that kind of said everything about him that he said when he misses a chance, he wants to shoot himself in the head. It's like, that's the kind of thing that, you know, a real um, bloodthirsty striker, you know you need to get that out of your, out of your head. You need to you need to be a bit more focused and and have a bit of a, a stronger mentality than that. And I think what what we always got with Gabriel Jesus, what, what Arsenal will get now is wherever he, wherever he played, you know whether he played out on the flank or in the middle, you would get a hundred percent from him, like no less every single game. If he came out with one minute to go, you would get a hundred percent from him. He's such a hard worker for the team, such a great team player, and really actually thrived an awful lot on that, on the right flank for us last season and, and, and played really well and I was uh was, was sort of part of the first eleven for, for much of the season, really, but not in the role that everyone expects him to be in, not in the role that City perhaps needed him to be in, being that, that central number nine striker who was who was a prolific goal scorer. We just, we just never kind of got that version of Gabriel Jesus. And it'll be interesting to see when, when when he goes to Arsenal now, when he's kind of the main man there, when there's a bit more expected of him, um, whether he does go on to to fulfil his potential, potential in that position or, or whether he ends up... Being moved out wide for them as well, or or whatever. But yeah, he's a re- he's a really good player, and, w- and we're sad to see him go. But again, it, it was just like one of those situations where there was nothing wrong with the relationship, really, but it, it could have been better from his point of view, I think. And he he wants to go somewhere where he'll he'll play a bit more and be re- relied upon a bit more, and and can perhaps kick on a little bit. So sad to see him go. But again, wish him wish him the best of luck. And and yeah, a very similar situation with, with Zinchenko as well. Really, like he was a player who was really really popular with the fans had a really great attitude you know he came to the club for I think it was 1.5 million we signed him for uh, to be one of these kind of CFG players where they get farmed out to Girona or some club in Uruguay or you know one of the one of the sister clubs that we've got and and never really ends up being an actual city player he's just sort of part of the group hmm. and I think kind of necessity midway through Guardiola's second season when we got 100 points. Um, we had Fabian Delph played at left back for a lot of that season. Delph got injured and we needed someone to fill in at left back for a game. And this guy who, uh, you know, a young Ukrainian kid um, who was supposed to be a sort of attacking midfielder, slotted in at left back, took to the role really well. You know, it was was a bit of a sponge, you know, really absorbent to... To Guardiola's teachings and really took it on board and really worked hard and really kind of made that position his own and became like a really really solid left back, you know. Even though it's it's still not his position, it's still not his favorite position. I think he's he's going to Arsenal with the hope of playing a bit more centrally in midfield, something like that, maybe a bit more further forward than that even. And I think he's he's shown when he plays for Ukraine that he's he's certainly capable of doing that. But he was never going to get that role at City. It was never going to be you know. There's always going to be players who are a bit better than him in that position and. I think it's just a case of, yeah, he might have been happy to stay and kind of played second fiddle to Cancelo as the left back and carried on, you know, maybe winning trophies, but he's going to Arsenal now to fulfil a bit more of his potential in a role that he would like to play. Working with... um, Working with Arteta, who he's worked with before and had a good relationship with, I think it's going to be a good move for him and a really good signing for Arsenal. And I'm re- of the three of them, I think he's the one that I'm most sad to see go, just because I liked him so much as a person. Not that I liked the dislike the other guys as a person, but he he was one that I was like, oh, I really hope Zinchenko stays. But again, yeah. I wish him all the best because he's been a great servant for us, and I think he he deserves uh, he deserves this chance. No,
0: certainly, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how how Jesus and Zinchenko take to those opportunities as well. I think Sterling's obviously a bit longer on in his career. I think sort of more of a, um, a known quantity in terms of what he brings. Although I, I think even at Chelsea, it'd be cool to see him pop up in some other positions because he's he's certainly mm. intelligent enough for it. But uh, yeah, Jesus and Zinchenko. And they got each other uh, there as well. So I'm sure that'll be useful yeah. for them as, as they're settling in. But um, just before we wrap up then, I mean, just, just a couple of last questions. I mean, how are you feeling... And ahead of the new season sounds like sort there's lots of optimism amongst the fan base given those signings uh as you mentioned yet to see Haaland uh, take to take to the pitch um although just to start things off the way in which they will inevitably be for the entire season, you know, Nunes has scored four goals in one game. So I think that's yeah <laughs> now needs uh Haaland to respond, otherwise he's a fraud. Um is obviously that's that's how it's gonna be all season. So I hope you hope are ready for that. Um but yes it seems like there's there's lots of optimism amongst the was the fan base, that it's going to be another strong season. Even though it's, I think everybody will probably have to adjust to how weird the season is going to be with the really yeah. intense sprint of games and then the break, uh, then the World Cup, um, and then uh, the return after that. It's going to definitely be an odd one. Maybe the points totals won't be as high as a result. But, yeah, how are you feeling ahead of the new season uh, and, and sort of the shape of the city are in? And then just, I suppose, one last question as well is... Um, what have you made of other teams business you know are there, are there are there any deals that you think you you particularly like the look of
2: yeah i mean well i think all of the the sort of so-called big six have have strengthened really well so far. Um, you know, you're looking at Liverpool. You've lost Mane, who I think I think is a big big loss for you. But
0: yeah, replaced
2: him good. with with this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but replacing him with Darwin Nunez, who looks like a real talent. And I don't think it's a like-for-like replacement necessarily. Like, so I think there may be a bit of uh, a bit of adjustment required from Liverpool there. And it'll be interesting to see how how quickly Klopp can get a handle on that and how quickly everyone settles in. But you know. Even if it takes Nunes a little bit of time to settle, then you've you've got an outstanding team who I think are going to be really competitive. Uh, in all, all the all the competitions again, and you know you're looking at the business Spurs have done. You know on paper that looks outstanding, and they finished the season really strongly. They've got Conte as the coach, who who's a really really shrewd operator, really knows what he's doing. So I, I genuinely think they could be a title threat next season. Uh, maybe it might be might be a, a season too soon. We'll see. Um, Chelsea looking looking strong, um, having taken Sterling from us and and Kulibaly I think is a really good signing for them. I think it's been a weird transition period for them with the new ownership and a few players leaving they've had to replace them so I don't know if I really see them as a, as a proper title threat next season but I, I think they're going to be competitive and, and Arsenal the same that they've made some good signings and you know I'm, I'm looking at United I don't really I don't really fear them in terms of the title threat next season but you're looking at the way that some of the football they're playing in pre-season and all right it is only pre-season you, you can't read too much into these these things and I think People often do. Um, but you're looking at kind of the football they're playing, and it looks like Ten Hag, who, who I think is a really good coach, has got them playing a really nice style of football already, and they're only going to build on that and, and get better. And, you know, if they can bring a few more players in, I think they could be they could be a handy team to to be to be up against. So amazing what some coaching be... actually does, isn't it? It's just it's it? fascinating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was talking to some mates about it yesterday, and one of them was like, "Are oh, they're not gonna win anything signing all these players from the Dutch league. And I was like, Well, I don't think pl- the playing personnel has ever been a problem for United. It's the fact they've not had a proper manager for such a long time, really. And I exactly. think now that they've got someone, yeah, coaching them properly. Then you know, and, and maybe if they can get rid of Ronaldo, who I think it was, uh, was 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 more of a problem than, uh, than than a help for them last season, if they can get him out out of the pitch, then. Mm. I think. I think I don't, I don't like. I say I don't see them being a threat next season necessarily, but I do think this could be the beginning of the end of their of their really poor period, and, and maybe they are on, on the right track. Uh, finally, but, you know, looking at City next season, I, I'm I'm pretty confident. I, I have no reason not to be, like, I'm searching for reasons not to be confident about the season, and I, just can't, I can't find one really. You know, it could all go horribly wrong. I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying we're definitely going to win this, we're definitely going to win that, but I do fancy us to win the league again, just because of the the strengthening that we've done, and the, and the team that we are, and the manager that we've got, but I think Liverpool are going to be probably second, if we do in the league, or first, if we don't win the league, and, uh, yeah, I would say Tottenham, maybe maybe third, maybe they're, they're going to be the, the closest challengers to to the two of us, and then you know the Champions League. Who knows what's going to happen there? It's it's anyone's guess really. Um, I would like to think this is the year we, we get over the line, and like I said, that Haaland will will help us do that. But it's um it's anyone's guess really. I, I just uh, we we saw what happened with, with Real Madrid last season and the way that that. Uh, a, a game could be quickly derailed in that competition. It's the the spirit of knockout football and all that. So we'll see what happens there. But for me, again, the main one is the Premier League. That's the one that I'm I'm really hoping that we uh, we go and win. And I've got a good feeling that we will do it, but we'll see.
0: I am expecting it to be yeah a a very competitive season once again, um, and probably maybe a slightly weird one given the. The disruption and some of the intensity of the fixture schedule as well, as we talked about. But anyway, Dan, thanks so much, yeah, just for giving us um, your insight into how last season ended up, sort of how you're feeling around that, and then also, yeah, what shape City are in as they head into the new season. I feel like they're almost going, it's it's weird to say going under the radar a little bit, but I think given that preseason's only just started for... For the squad, we've yet to see Haaland do something crazy on the pitch, which I'm sure he will mm-hmm. inevitably do. Um, it feels like City are going slightly under the radar a little bit, but I'm sure that will be very, very different before before the month is up. But um, yeah, really appreciate you coming on and um, yeah, sharing your insight as usual. My pleasure as always. Thanks for having me. And just to the, the, the listeners as well, as you'll know, they're not r- truly yet kicked off for the season uh, just yet. So sort of just like the players because uh, obviously we do lots of very hard physical work here, podcasting, um, sort of easing our way back in. Uh, but there will be um, another one of these uh, sort of rivals series that we're doing ahead of the season um, next week, speaking to, uh, to Karl Anker about United and the Ten Hag project there and what to expect when a coach arrives at your team. Uh, very interesting to to hear his thoughts on sort of some of the players that can maybe rescue some of their careers that have drifted a little bit and some of those new faces who are looking to help United push on as well. So, yeah, do tune in for that as well. But until then, check out all the other great content on Anfield Index Pro. And, yeah, you'll see is uh, with a new episode uh, next week.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show.